Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. This series is the good, good news, and that Jesus, every time he shows up, he's got good news to bring. And so we love that. And so today I want to talk about how Jesus builds families, or Jesus builds a family, and we see this uh, throughout the scripture. You know, one of the things about Jesus is Jesus was on the earth, I almost said died, but Jesus is still alive. Come on, he resurrected. But but we know that Jesus was celibate, 33 years old. Now, some of y'all are like, hey, that's not too far away. But can I tell you that if Jesus was celibate for 33 years and he lived a fulfilled life, then you can actually be fulfilled before you get married or before you have a family. You can experience fulfillment now, and there's fullness in him. That's not saying that you shouldn't go after those other things. In fact, I believe you should. I, I believe that, the, that that is God's will for most people. But we know that Jesus was fully filled, fully fulfilled with no children. Come on, with no spouse, with no love. Come on, he had he had no grade school notes being passed by. Come on, he had no text threads. Come on, he had he had none of the none of the ooey ooey gooeys in his in his belly and his heart and the chill bumps and he he had none of that. He had no romance in his life. He, he was fully filled. But however, even though he didn't have any of those things, Jesus still built a family. Come on, he still built a family. And so last week we finished up with actually the first part of Mark chapter 3, where Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. You guys remember where he said, stretch forth your hand, and he stretched forth his hand, and there were people there that were plotting to kill Jesus because he was he was doing what they saw forbidden, doing anything on the Sabbath, right? Even, even touching an elevator button, right, was forbidden on the Sabbath or even today. And so this was... This was the the line in the sand for the religious. If he does something on the Sabbath that's even good, we're going to kill him. I mean, this is where the plot really thickens as far as the hostility concerns with Jesus. And so it says this right after he heals that man. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, if you got your Bibles, your journals, your pens, your paper, you should take notes. You should take notes anytime someone is talking and you're receiving. You should always take notes because it will help you remember, even if you don't ever look at them again. And so, so many times in my life, I've been glad that I take notes. That's why we provide those for you. So Mark chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples. Everybody say withdrew. He withdrew with who? With his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd, everybody say crowd. A great crowd followed from Jerusalem and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, how many of y'all know they heard it? Some of them were there. Some of them saw it. Some of them heard it. All that he was doing, they came to him. Come on. People are attracted to good news, right? In our, in our culture, we think that people are more attracted to bad news. I believe quite the opposite. I believe the good news is more attractive. So in a society, in a culture of bad, bad news, it's time for the kingdom of God to bring the good, good news. Because we've got good news that this man, Jesus, that we read about in the scripture is still alive and he's doing things on the earth. And he is the problem. He is the solution for every problem that humanity has. Whether it be political tensions or racial tensions. Come on, Jesus is the solution for all of those things. 
So we got the good news. I'm already preaching. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Come on. It's crowded up in there. No social distancing in this moment. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now, many would be freaked out by diseases for someone to come and press around you and crush you. But how many know that when you got healing flowing through your veins, it's okay for those that are diseased to press up and crush you? And so whenever the unclean spirits saw him, demons, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. That's my best demon impersonation. They were speaking truth. They were speaking truth. You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, why was Jesus want, not wanting to be known? Because Jesus had work to do before he was crucified. Come on. I mean, crucifixion, the crucifixion was the work that he, that he came for so he could rescue us. But he had all this, these words and all these miracles that needed to happen. Come on. All these things that were building up to the cross. Jesus lived for the cross. We live from the cross. Come on. That'll work. All right. And he went up to the mountain. Here's, here's kind of our key text today. And he went up to the mountain. Everybody say, he went up. He went up to the mountain. And he called to those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. Circle that. That they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. How many know that you have authority to cast out demons? So there's several things that I want to point out today from our text. Number one is this. this Jesus had circles. Just like you. You have circles, right? This is Jesus' social media on the mountain, right? This is his core group. Back in, back in the, the MySpace days, we had our, what was it, the top eight? Is that what it was? Top, how many? Was it eight? Top eight, whatever. You, you picked who was on your page. So Jesus said, these are the ones that I desire. They're going to be on my homepage. That's my top eight. Is it, is it eight right? Is it eight right? I don't remember. We're so far. Huh? Oh, you could. Okay, cool. So Jesus picks his top 12. They're on his MySpace page. Come on. He's got good music on there. Probably some metal. I'm, I'm believing. Come on. All right. So Jesus had circles. Jesus had people that were in his tight, tight circle. And as the circle it goes out, he had people that were on the outside of his circles. How many of y'all have friendships like that? You have people you're tight with, and then you have people that you know, that you love, and then you have people that are, and then you have people that are outside of your circle. So Jesus had circles, and there were those that were clearly outside of his circle, clearly. The accusers, the religious, those that were devoted to systems more than they were devoted to people. Those are people that were all outside his circles. And then we see the circles of Jesus. First of all, there was the community. Now, these were people that knew Jesus publicly. The leaders are like, hey, we've heard this before. Yeah, just not too long ago. They knew Jesus publicly. They're the ones that came to eat. They're the ones that came to hear him teach. There's a, 
There's a story where Jesus crosses over to the other side of the lake and all these people show up and he's like, you guys are the same people that were on the other side. You came because you were hungry. Not hungry for spiritual things, but hungry for natural food. They were like, Jesus is going to feed us again. Let's go over there. How many of y'all done that before? We've had people show up a group before. They're like, I was just hungry, so I want to show up. Awesome. It's a great way to show up. But don't just eat the physical bread. Come on. But they knew Jesus publicly. And then you had the crowd, and these were, were people that were kind of kind of followers of Jesus. They were they they knew Jesus socially. They even participated in some things. Right? There were um, 72 people that Jesus sends out in Luke chapter 9. And then we see the people in the book of Acts in the upper room. These are people that were part of the crowd. They knew Jesus socially. They, they might have not have been super close, but they, they knew him socially. They, they, they probably had conversations with him, and they were obedient to what he said. And then Jesus had the committed. And these are people that knew Jesus privately. These were the ones that he desired and they went up to the mountain. These are the 12, the apostles, right? There might be a couple other people that could be in the committed. I think of Lazarus and, and Mary Martha, and I, 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 think of, I think of them and them being there with Jesus. I think that, that Jesus knew them privately. He stayed at their house. Come on. He had some, some deep moments with them. They were the committed these are the ones he wanted. Now, what's awesome about 12, why did Jesus just pick 12? I mean, shouldn't he have picked more than that? No, Jesus knew that if he could invest deeply in 12, that he could change, transform the whole world. The thing is, is 12, because he's a king and he's bringing a kingdom, 12 is the number of government. It's the number of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So God always uses this, these numbers and, and so there's, there's 12. 12 is the number of, of government. So he says, listen, I'm establishing a new government, so I need some people to be leaders of that government. So he appoints 12, those he wanted. So why did Jesus desire them and not everyone else? I would suggest it's because they're the only ones that answered the call to follow. How many? My opinion is that Jesus desired them all. All of them. All the crowds, all the community, all the religious, all the wrongdoers, Jesus wanted them all. But only a few were willing to say, I'll go the extra mile. I'll follow you up to the mountain, Jesus. Not only will I follow you up to the mountain, I'll actually follow you to the cross. Because we know out of these 12 men that 11 of them faced deep, deep persecution. 10 of them died martyrs of their faith. John, the beloved, was boiled in oil exiled because they couldn't kill him, exiled to a place called Patmos where Jesus reveals the greatest revelation of Jesus that we ever see, the book of Revelation. And then the other one betrays Jesus and takes his own life. But we see that 11 of them were willing to give up their lives to follow Jesus. Why did he desire them? Because they desired him. Because they desired him. And then some people just said no, right? Some people just saw that, hey, I can follow Jesus at a distance. I can experience a miracle from Jesus, which is interesting that we don't see any miracles happen to the disciples. I thought that was interesting. The only thing that Jesus could offer them was his leadership. Hmm. And it was enough for them. 
Come on, that's convicting. So many people, the price is just too high. Remember the rich young ruler? We'll deal with him in a few weeks. He ends up becoming the poor young slave. Why? Why did he go away the poor young slave when he was the rich young ruler? Because he wasn't willing to forsake all. He wasn't willing to give up his career. He wasn't willing to give up his lifestyle to follow Jesus. And then you had what we would call the core. And these were three disciples that went beyond the disciples And they said, Jesus, we really want to be in your life. We want to be there when it's hard. So they'll be there when he's praying to suffer. They'll be there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They'll be there in these epic moments of Jesus. They were there. They were there. We see John. You could even say that there's even one. John was the only one that said, let me rest my head on the bosom of Jesus. Let me hear his heartbeat. And then Jesus shows him his heartbeat in Revelation. He's the only one. So the idea here is that Jesus will go to the place. Jesus will take you to the places that you're willing to go. Jesus, write that down so I don't forget it for second service. Jesus will take you to the places that you're willing to go. Are you willing to go? So Jesus had circles. And the depth of that circle, the, the, the inclusivity of that circle. Can we look at that circle again? Can we pull up one of those points? Do, as you can see, that circle has an opening. But, but the closer you get to the center, the narrower it is. So you can get to the center. You can get as close to Jesus as the person that you've admired the most. You can go up to the mountain. It's up to you. It's an open circle. All right, so Jesus had circles. Number two, intimacy is his highest value. His highest value. Most of us think that what God wants most from us is to do good things. Do you know what the best thing you can do for Jesus? Have a relationship with him. See, he is a relational creator. When he, when he developed you, when he formed humanity, when he said, when he had this dream of com- creating humans, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to build them for connection. Right? This is why we're addicted to social media. Addicted is the proper word here. This is why we're addicted. Because we long for connection. We long for affirmation from who? From other people. Right? We want the like. Even people that would say, well, I'm an I'm a introvert, therefore I'm not people-oriented. That's actually false. You can be an introverted, people-oriented person. And let me suggest this to you. Every person is people-oriented. doesn't mean that you have to get your energy there. What? No, not me. I hate everybody. Well, you need Jesus. Because how can you love people? You know, you don't look at that as an ex- a strength or an excuse. You were built for connection. And listen, this is why, and I try not to say this much because I, because I know that people have, 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 have really abused others by making statements like this, but, but his heart is grieved. Will you understand this, that his heart is grieved when we choose to stay in doubt, when we choose to be satisfied with distance. It grieves his heart. It grieves the heart of God when we're not hungry to know him more. 
Does he still love you? Has his desires for you unchanged? Absolutely. That's why his heart is grieved. Because he loves you so deeply and he wants you so deeply and he wants to be in a relationship with you and he wants to go to the the deep, deep places of your heart that it grieves his heart when you say, Lord, that's off limits. Listen, this isn't condemnation. This is saying he loves you that much. The invitation is there. So John 15, love John 15. Probably Probably my favorite passage out of all the gospels, John 15. It's where he talks about living in us, abiding Mino, dwell. And he says this, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I've called you friends. For everything, oh, I love this. This is one of my favorites right here. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. Come on. Whose idea was it for you? I would like to be closer to God. Whose idea do you think that was? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Notice he didn't say that you would go and bear works. But that it would be a natural flow out of your life. You don't go apple. You don't produce apples with effort. You produce apples or fruit by being connected, by being having root systems, by being deep. So why, why, why am I not having more fruit in my life? Because you're not going deep enough or you're not being nourished enough. And those could both be connected. Y'all okay? I feel like I'm being very like prophetic, harsh today. I, I'm just bringing it. So you did not choose me. But I choose you, and I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will remain, fruit that will be here in a thousand years, fruit that you don't lose. Come on. Man, I was doing really good until Monday, right? No, fruit that remains, fruit that endures seasons. You be trees planted by the garden, by the, by the, by the, the rivers, as it says in Psalms chapter one, that, that you that you don't know seasons, that seasons seasons don't mess with your fruit. Oh, it's just going through a season and I'm unfruitful. That that's well, you understand that you are supernatural, that you produce in bad seasons. You have fruit even when it's hard. Even when you shouldn't have fruit. We'll we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I'm getting way ahead of myself, like weeks ahead of myself. So that Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's interesting. Why will the Father give everything that you ask in his name? Whoa, cool. Dallas Cowboys win. You said, Lord, right? New truck. Jesus' name, right? You've got to understand something. When you are connected to the Lord, you start praying the way he wants you to pray. And your prayers are more fruitful. And he transforms your desires. Now they're not about materialism and worldly affections and desires and all this kind of stuff. He transforms you. And then whenever you pray for your enemies, like Scripture commands you to do, and loving your enemies, you don't pray that destruction will happen. Then happen. You'll pray that the goodness of God will encounter them. And they'll come to repentance. And if they come to repentance, then they'll do the right thing, whether that's what you like or not. So, so intimacy is his highest value. 
And intimacy is being connected. It's that old word that says into me see, right? It's like I was closed up into me see, see inside of me. And this is what Jesus is calling us to, intimacy. Why? Because it's his highest value. So he has circles. He wants you to come into that circle. Intimacy is his highest value. The third thing that we understand from the text is this, is relationship is greater than assignment. Relationship is greater than assignment. Relationship is greater than assignment. See, the religious had all kinds of assignments. They were good at fulfilling assignments. They were workers. They were good workers. But I love it how it says this. We've already read it, but listen. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Priorities. I want you. I want you here. I want you with me. Now that you're here, I love you. We're in this scene together. Go out and preach. The relationship is always greater than the assignment. See, Jesus values community over commission. And see, the religious, they were really good at working. They saw themselves doing work for God. We're working for the Lord. We're working for the Lord. What did you do for the Lord today? We're working, 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 working. And this is what happens when we become religious. We start telling everybody else, you need to be working more for God. You need to be, what have you done for God lately? Right? How many of y'all have ever, maybe not in those words, but you've been told something like that? Or you've, you, someone's questioned you. Have you, have you, you know, but there's a religious spirit. They saw themselves working for God. But listen, working for God typically involves working apart from God. Because that's what you're doing. You're working for him. You're working to gain ground. So working for God typically involves working apart from God. And, I've, and, we, and you know how you know? You know how you know when someone's working apart from God? By the way that they do it. We did this cleanse. Oh, gosh, it was terrible. It's the worst thing. It was 48 hours of the most hell that I've ever experienced on earth. <laughs> Probably not, but pretty bad. I was not happy. My heart wasn't in it. I wasn't, <laughs> I don't know why I was so grumpy. I was so grumpy. I was like, I'm so hungry. I want a burger. 48 hours. I, I told Leslie going into it, I was like, I could do anything for 48 hours. Now I'm like, I could do anything for 48 hours except for that. I could even fast for 48 hours before I do that again. Lord, help me. <laughs> I lost the heart of it. Listen, and so many people, this is the way they, they are with their work for the Lord. They're working for the Lord. They're not working with the Lord. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this, that we are co laborers. We love the co-heirs. We're also co-laborers that we're working with God. We're not working independently of God. We're not working for God. We're working with God. This is why you have the Holy Spirit. Not so that you can work for God, but that you can work with God in your life, in your job that you hate. How can you do a job that you hate with joy on your face? Because you're working with God. 
I don't like my coworkers. Guess who your coworker is? It's God. He's the coworker. Are you working with him? Are you being molded in the process? It'll change everything. You've got to stop seeing yourself eat. No matter what you do, you're doing it for the Lord, with the Lord. And so when you see yourself working with the Lord and everything, there's pleasure in all of it. There's pleasure in all of it. So we're co-laborers. And so the religious were, were asked, saw themselves working for God, and the crowds were wanting to know what Jesus required. Lord, what do you require? What do you, what do you want us to do? Right? I mean, it's just like us today. Right? Okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. What is it going to cost me? It's a good question for you to ask, by the way. What am I in for? What am I agreeing to? Right? It's kind of like when you get that message from somebody on Facebook Messenger, somebody you haven't talked to for 20 years. They're like, hey, I have a business opportunity for you. <laughs> right? right? You'll lose weight and be young and be independent and financially. What's it going to cost me? We just, before you approach us, nope, Browns don't do that. Policy, family policy, good policy to make. So the crowds want to know, what do you require? What do you, what do you want us to do for you, Jesus? So he says this in John chapter 6, and he's speaking to the crowds. He says in verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do, must we do to do the work God requires? What is the minimum? <laughs> And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe on the one he has sent. Believe in the one that he has sent. Trust me. Lord, what do you require? Trust Jesus. That's what he requires. That's the expectation. What is, what is it, what is it going to cost me to get into heaven? A bunch of good deeds. How many good deeds do you need to do? All of them. If you're going by deeds, you got to do all the good deeds. How many sins can I commit before I go to before I go to hell? Or better this way, how many sins can I commit or what sins can I commit and still go to heaven? None of them. That's the standard. Therefore, Jesus says, hey, the standard's pretty high. You're marked up because God is completely holy and he said, "Guess what?" The work of God isn't that you sin less, but that you come to me and I'll make you sinless. Believe in the one you sin. That's the work God requires. Trust him. See, in the kingdom, why? Because it's all about relationship. It's all about being connected with Jesus. So in the kingdom, relationship is the greatest accomplishment. It's the greatest thing, that, the greatest thing that you could ever do for God. Since relationship is more important than assignment, the most important thing that you can do for God and with God is being in relationship with him. Because if you do works apart from him, Jesus says this in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It has no significance. It doesn't matter. It has no eternal value. No matter how good, I don't care if you cure cancer. I would love for you to cure cancer. I would love to never see another person suffer from that. I would love that. But without Christ, you can do it apart from Christ. 
And, and according to Jesus, not a, you say, are you saying? I'm not saying. I'm saying Jesus said it. Apart from him, you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do. No matter how good or noble it is, apart from him, in the eyes of God, it's nothing. Pastor, that's, what are you saying? I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. The kingdom of God is not God's labor camp. It's dominion through family. Whew. How do we take over the world? By being in family. By being in a relationship. And some people say, well, we just don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. Understand this. Understand this, that relationship doesn't free us from responsibilities. When you're in the house, when you live in the house, you have responsibilities. That's my kids. They don't pay the bills, but they have responsibilities. They need to obey their parents. Come on. They got to do their chores, the little bit of chores that they have. So, when you're in the house, you have responsibilities. There's also a lot of rights that you have by living in the house. You got refrigerator rights and Wi-Fi rights. Xbox rights. Come on, you got all the rights. But you also have responsibilities. I'm preaching to my son up here. He does good. When you are a worker, you work for a wage. But when you're in the family, you work for a stronger family. So what am I working for? I'm working that the family would be stronger. I'm working that the dominion would be greater. So, Jesus had circles. Intimacy is his highest value. Relationship is greater than assignment. And number four is this, some won't stick. This is what we read from the text. Now, let me continue from where we left off. Y'all okay? Verse 20. He names it, all the disciples are named there in the book of Mark there for you. So you have a list. Then he says this in verse 20. He went home. And the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. <laughs> Just the inconvenience of the crowds. Jesus don't mind crowds, by the way. And when his family heard it, under, underscore that word family, and when his family heard it, they went out and seized him, out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. I've got to be honest with you. I never saw this before. Never, not until we're reading this. When his family saw the trouble that was following Jesus, they said, he's out of his mind. Let's put him away. Let's hide Jesus. Let's hide the Lord lest people think he's crazy because we think he's a little crazy. Listen, in this moment that we're living in right now, don't hide Jesus. He's not crazy. He's the answer. He's the truth. In this moment, more than any other time in human history, at least for us, at least in America, and this isn't the darkest time in human history, by the way, but this is a, a very, very dark time for America. And it's a very, very dark time for the church. In this moment, don't hide Jesus because you think his ideology is a little out there. Because some of the stuff he says, I don't really like it.
Am I the only one? Sometimes Jesus says stuff, I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Read something in the scripture. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, Lord. Really? It's not very Jesus of you. <laughs> oh, some won't stick. That word family right there, and then it, I love the way the New King James Version words that it says his own people people that were connected to Jesus his family when when it's speaking of family there it's not talking about his relatives it's speaking of those in the crowd those that have said we want to be part of Jesus's life we're in it we're in his uh, top 100 his top 72 his top 15 maybe the the Greek idiom is the ones from his side those that were there with him. Now they're trying to hide him. Because what he's doing is crazy. See, everyone liked Jesus the carpenter. Everyone liked Jesus the miracle worker. They don't really like Jesus the healer on the Sabbath. They don't really, really like Jesus stirring up controversy. They wish he would just be quiet. We don't, we don't really like it. Now, Jesus, that you're going public, we don't really want to associate with you. We liked it when there was just a few of us. But now that the crowd is growing and now people have accusations that you're false, that you're not real, we're going to kind of disassociate ourselves from you. You're kind of crazy. And listen, demons were being stirred. We love the healing. Did you know that, that when, when Christ shows up, demons inflame? They get stirred. They're like, when Jesus comes in, everything's supposed to be hunky-dory. Dude, demons are mean. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the movies. (laughs) I mean, demons are mean to people. (sighs) You know, the whole thing, right? They're ugly. They're scary. They're not fun. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around demons. But what happens is when Jesus shows up, it infuriates demons. Beloved, when you show up as an ambassador of Christ, representing Christ, demons are going to come out of places you never knew they were in. You're going to have tensions that you never knew were possible. Why? Because Jesus is there and he brings them to the surface. So don't think it's just going to be, oh yeah, everybody's just going to love you. You just serve the Lord. The world's going to like you. This is not the message. Jesus said, they'll hate you. They'll despise you. They'll reject you. It's risky to be on the side of Jesus. But will you stick? Will you stick it out? Or in the the end, the love of many, most, will grow cold. Will you keep your love hot? John 6, verse 66 Oh, six seconds. Told y'all that. Yeah. After this, appropriate place to put this. After this, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. Many. Many people that were disciples, that were followers, many people that left their own lives, left their own lifestyles. Now they're following Jesus. And it says, many of them no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, And I I believe with heartbreak. 
Where are they at? It's hard right now. Where are you at? Where's Frank? Where's Henry? I'm trying to use words that nobody's in the room. <laughs> Names that no <laughs> right? Where's Billy? <laughs> right? Where is he? No Billy. Where is he? Lord, they didn't like what you said. They thought it was too hard. We're not talking about the religious. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about people in the community. We're talking about people that were following the Lord. They were close to him. They were there at his teaching, and they're leaving. So he looks at the 12, and he's like, are you going to go also? I hope you don't. Are you going to leave as well? Simon Peter Peter answered him. He said, Lord, where are we going to go? Where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You know why he could say that? It's because he'd abandoned everything else. He paid a high price to follow Jesus. So he said, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to get? Where are we going to get a life like this? Where am I going to get a life like this, Lord? I, I've, I've forsaken all to follow you. I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm in for it for the long haul. Peter, imperfect, even after this statement, he's still in it for the long haul. Are you with him? Have you gone somewhere? I just want to ask you that question right now, sobering as it is. Have you gone somewhere? Have you left the circle of the crowd crowd and moved into the community? Have you left the circle of the core and moved outside the circle? I've known many that have. They thought they could find life somewhere else. Are you with them? See, we have the ability to decide on this circle how close we are. And some of you, even as I'm preaching this message, you're getting a little bit convicted. You're feeling a little bit, quote, unquote, guilty. Can I tell you today, that is the kindness of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you closer. I want you moving into the circle. I want to be closer to you. I want to be dwelling with you. It's the goodness of the, listen, it is the goodness of the Lord that draws us to repentance, of changing our mindset, of changing our behaviors. You're as close to him as you want. So the circle is open. But following Jesus is costly. And the closer you get to the core of his heart, listen, the costlier it is. It's expensive. It's very expensive to follow Jesus, especially if you want to follow. Listen, I, I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I'm not saying that you have to be like, because we're not, we're not saved according to that. We're, we're saved because we, we've placed our active trust in Jesus. I'm, I'm not condemning you to hell in saying this, but I'm saying God has more for you. Will you be satisfied with living on the exterior? Or are you going to get into his heart? And this is, listen, this is the heart of overflow. Like, we want more of the Lord. 
If I, if I could make it to the, to, the, to the top three, I'm not satisfied with it. I want to I put my head on his chest. I want anybody getting closer. Is this the tenacity of your heart? I don't want anybody closer to Jesus than me. Nobody. I want nobody closer. It's costly. But get this. Get this. It's way more costly to not respond to that drawing of the Lord. It's way more costly to not respond. Because I don't, I love what Mike Bickle says. He says, I don't want to go to heaven and stand before Jesus and look into those blazing eyes and see any ounce of regret. Not that I wouldn't be welcomed in, but he would say, I just had more for you. Lord, I want it all. I want to milk it. I want to milk it, Lord. I want to go all in. Because the cost of not following him is regret. (laughs) And regret is powerful, man. Some of you have regrets, but listen, regret is the highest price we could ever pay because we get nothing in return. You, You could leave today. You can walk out these doors and be unchanged by this word and be unchanged by the provoking spirit of it because that is my intention, to provoke you. I hope you will love Jesus more when you leave this place. I hope this message will cause you to draw in. I hope it will. And if it causes you to draw out, then you heard the wrong message and you're responding to the wrong voice. But if you respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you can leave this moment, you can leave today, and you can, you can live without regret saying, Lord, I'm, I'm pressed in to know you. What I don't want to do is I don't want to get 15 years down the road and go, man, I remember when Pastor Josh preached that message about going to the circle, going deeper in, and going, going closer, going closer to Jesus, and really developing my, my moments with the Lord a little bit more. And I just remember kind of leaving and just thinking that wasn't, I wasn't in a good place in my life. I wish I would have responded to it then. Because how far would I be along? Regret is the highest price we can ever pay because we get nothing in return. So don't live. Listen, I'm not, I'm not shaming. There's no shame here. This is, come on. This isn't shaming. This is an, an invitation. It's, it's an inviting. Listen, I'm not shaming you. I'm inviting you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the heart of Jesus. So Jesus desires this undivided devotion. That's what he says in Mark 3, 25. He says, if a house is divided against itself, a house will not be able to stand. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you in my house. And I don't want the house divided. I want the house to be solid because if it's solid, it won't, it won't fall. It'll be able to, it, if it's divided, it won't be able to stand. So what I want is I want undivided devotion from you. Mark 3, last verse. We're going we're gonna to pray. 31. His mother... And his brothers came. Jesus had brothers. By the way, physical, earthly brothers. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. Everybody say a crowd. There it is again. A crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you, seeking you. And he said to them, who are my brothers, mother and brothers? Who are they? Who are my family? And he looked, looking about those who sat around him. 
I believe it's the NIV that says those that were encircled around him. And he looked about those who were around him. And he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of God. What is God's will for my life? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What is the will of God? Go to the nations. Disciple them. These are the two direct things that Jesus commands us to. To love him. To love others. And love others enough to draw them into this thing called the kingdom. And into this thing called the family. And he said, if you will do the will of God, 